Hello everyone and welcome to Daily Newspaper Analysis which is brought to you by Lossico. So today we will be discussing two articles. The first one is from the Hindu which is titled as RBI microfinance proposals are anti-poor. So basically what are these new proposals that have been brought by the Reserve Bank of India for microfinancing the poor in the country and why at all are we considering them to be not in favor rather against the benefit of the poor. The second article is from the Indian Express which is titled as Revamping the Refugee Law. So why at all we need to become more comprehensive and more uh, you know uh, in a way detailed about the refugee law of the country will be discussed here. This newspaper analysis is presented by me. My name is Sheva Khan. I am a BA LLB law graduate and I had completed my law degree from Uttaranchal University in the year 2019. I also have been the batch gold medalist. I also have been a national debater as well as a public speaker. And here at Law Seco, I'm working as the manager for Current Affairs Vertical. If you wish to connect with me, you can find me on my Twitter as well as LinkedIn handles. The links are there in the description box below. With this, let's start our first article of the day, which talks about the RBI microfinance proposals for the poor. So in June 2021, the Reserve Bank of India published the consultative the consultative document on regulation of microfinance. So if implemented, the system would go against the poor. So before that, let's in very uh, crisp detail, let's understand what do we mean by the microfinance. So as the name itself is suggesting, micro means small and finance means funding. So basically small debts or small credits that are given for small businesses, you know, anything that is a small uh, or an entrepreneurship, a startup or something that is considered to be as a microfinance. So this article says that if at all the, uh, the RBI published uh, a consultative document on regulation of microfinance, it is implemented. So it would actually go against the poor and that, it was, that is why it is being called as being anti-poor. So let's see what is the recommendations uh, that have been made over here. What are the recommendations? So the document recommends that the interest ceiling rates of the NBFCs be done with, which means that we have a ceiling of the interest rate that the interest rates cannot go beyond a given limit in respect to the NBFCs, which are the non-banking financial companies. So the document says that this limit should be done away with, which means it should be removed. Also, the RBI believes that the competitive forces will bring down the interest rates. So RBI says that when there will be more, uh, you know, institutions or more uh, places from where the credit can be attained. So in that case, the competition of the forces would increase and thus the interest rates would themselves check down and they will come down. But that definitely uh, is not something maybe, you know, we can say with a lot of guarantee, but that is what the RBI is pointing out to at the moment. So the RBI also will stop regulating the interest rates charged by the NBFCs and the MFIs, which are the microfinance institutions. So here, one main proposal of the recommendation that we can see is that the RBI's control over the interest rates uh, on the credit that would be coming from the NBFCs or the MFIs, that would be removed or that would actually be a, a, deregulated or that would be relaxed. Now, in this situation, one thing that is concerning us the most is that Basically, it is the small or the lower interest rate that incentivizes the people to take the loans from the banks. Let's say, for example, that a loan is available at 8% and another bank is offering the loan at, let's say, 12%. So obviously, our preference would be to take the loan from the 8%. So that is why if the interest rates are higher, it actually disincentivizes the people and specifically we talk here about the poor people. So they definitely, it's very difficult for them in the very first place to pay the principal amount. Now just imagine that if the interest rate is also very high, they will have to pay a lot on that as well. So that is why it is becoming, in a way, it, is, it has a tendency to become anti-poor as well. 
then the article also mentions about a few violations in the loan breakups as well so the loan of an nbfc can only be repaid in equal monthly installments spread over two years so this basically also is the new uh, you know the regulation the recommendation that has come that if at all we have taken a loan from a non banking financial company so that would have to be repaid in equal monthly installments that could be spread over a period of, period of two years hence the flat interest of 15.1% becomes 31% per annum and to this one person of the processing fee is also as an additional expense so that is why you know it cannot be made further like a longer time period cannot be chosen and that has to be paid in two years which might be a very difficult further the interest rates also might become very difficult to deal with the borrowers rarely understand the payment system then again it becomes difficult for the borrowers the people who are taking the money as a loan to understand the payment system and to adjust with it and despite the rbi order on the same repayment is done at the doorstep also the group lending mechanism by the uh, nbfc is a mere sham that does not hold up in the real life practice and ultimately the borrowers hold no good at this uh, uh, situation and that is why the very purpose of having the nbfcs and the microfinance institutions as well it would be defeated if at all the poor are not able to take the loans comfortably from these institutions Now let's understand that why is microfinancing so important for the rural households specifically. So microfinancing basically is a loan portfolio, is the loan portfolio of the villages, which means that it is one of the most readily available uh, loan that the village people uh, actually use, and that is why it's very important that it is very, uh, you know, um, feasibly available to them. now uh, basically they are actually collateral free loans which means that they have to you know uh, generally what do we have to do is that when we take a loan from the bank so what happens is that we have to give something as a collateral which means we have to either give the papers of some property or we have to make sure that we have something in case of security that we are giving up as against the loan but when we talk about the loans that come from the microfinancing institutions like the nbfcs or the mfis in such situation the loans that we take are collateral free which means that even if a poor person does not really have anything enough to give to the bank as a security since he would still he would be able to get some kind of um, you know a loan that is actually very beneficial for the growth and coming out of very dire situations next is the marginalized community including the supreme uh, the, the scheduled castes and the obcs borrow money for house building so definitely as we know that in the villages the houses generally are the kachcha houses and now the people are trying to upgrade themselves with the coming time so in uh, general situations uh, most of the people borrow money for building their houses specifically we talk about the people who belong to the scheduled castes and the other backward classes Then, if we talk about the microfinance institutions and the NBFCs, they charge interest rates of 22 to 26 percent, which instead is already like already high. Now, just imagine that if these interest rates are not even regulated by the RBI, so what would be the situation in the coming times? On the contrary, the Kisan credit cards only charge four percent. So yes, of course, we can see the uh, you know the differences of the gap that is there in the interest rates. So that is why we have to understand that the microfinancing systems of the uh, for the rural households is very very important, and that is why RBI keeping a positive check would nothing but be a right a step in the right direction. And that is why maybe uh, the article says that the RBI could ponder once again upon the recommendations that it had given in this microfinance regulation. 
So basically here this article also says that the shift is to happen and the 1990s of the NBFCs and the MFIs were different as of now and they used to be regulated entities but in the current times we are seeing that the RBS proposal takes place as uh, and is implemented that the rural economy will further be dominated by private lending institutions yes of course because they might even if they are giving you know loans at even 1% less than what the other uh, NBFCs or other kinds of MFIs are giving so the people the poor people will definitely be driven towards these private lending institutions but definitely it will not be easy to regulate them in the longer run the 41% presence of uh, public sector funds will steeply fall as well so that is why the women borrowers also could be further pressurized as stated by the all india democratic women's association so definitely definitely this article says that the there is immediate way out is that the policy should be reversed and we should not move further with this policy Let's see a second article for the day which talks about revamping the refugee law. So India has participated in 49 peacekeeping missions in conflict-ridden lands mostly to avoid any kind of displacement basically of the people who we call as the refugees. However, the country's own national refugee framework needs major changes. So let's understand that how the refugee system in India currently works. So the interim policies and administrative assistance in India handle most of the refugee crisis. So basically we do not really have a permanent solution to the problems rather as the time requires we come up with the interim or the ad hoc policies and mostly we also work along with the administrative assistance that is actually that works for the situation for the time being. The interventions have so far never been codified and asylum management is difficult please understand asylum here is not the mental asylum that we generally talk about rather it's a term which is used in the international law specifically during the movement of the people when one person takes a refuge in the other country he is considered to have or taking uh, to be taking the asylum in the very next nation so that is why we are saying that the interventions or basically whatever steps that we take for the refugee crisis every now and then these interventions or steps need to be codified so that they can be implemented also in a better position so over the years the refugees have contributed to india economically and culturally as well and india also is considered to be as one of the most friendly nations of the world but many a times due to a lot of limitations and many times the security issues and concerns as well india also has to step back when it comes to taking in any refugees from the neighboring countries as well as was also the case of the rohingya rohingya refugees as when the time was so that is why a better codified law would definitely make it easier and crisper to understand the refugee crisis and to deal more efficiently in the coming situations so the administrative gains from such a codified policy will also be immense so despite the absence of the same india has struck a balance between national and security concerns and the humanitarian approaches as well as we were just discussing and one more area that needs to be addressed is the rights that the refugee is allowed to have an asylum seeker so the judicial pronouncements must give way to an enactment to effectively deal with the matter the article also presents some steps that can be taken in this direction and some keys that we can actually implement for the uh, handling the refugee crisis of india so the law should differentiate between the various categories of refugees and migrants now here these are two different terms migrants are the people who voluntarily move you know from one country to another maybe in search of better uh, education in search of better work opportunities and stuff like that but when we talk about the refugees these people do not move on their will they are not voluntarily coming to your nation rather mostly it is to save their lives because of the persecution that they are facing in their own very own nation in their own, their own country that is why involuntarily though but they have to move so that is why we should have a differentiate differentiation between the categories of refugees as well as migrants 
the secondary movements need to be anticipated and the most vulnerable will have to be protected yes of course for example when there was the military coup in Myanmar so it should have been anticipated that a lot of people to save themselves to save their lives would definitely infiltrate themselves and come in the uh, come through borders into India so such anticipation is very much required and this actually uh, gives us uh, the idea for you know being prepared for the coming future so with India's cultural framework, India could be the world leaders in humanitarian action and asylum management and a national refugee law is of utmost importance at this point. So that was all for the day. We hope it was a good and informative session for you all. Thank you so much for staying tuned with Law Seco. Please do not forget to catch the podcast discussion of the very same analysis on Spotify, Google, Anchor as well as Apple Podcast. Also, if you want to avail the PDF of today's slides, you can join our Telegram channel. The link you can find in the description box below or you can scan the QR code that you can see on your screens right now. Also, for other crisp and informative content, do not forget to follow us on our Instagram channels for Judiciary, CLAT Prep, UGCNet as well as the Law Finance exams. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.